Thank you very much. Oh, it's good to, good to be back and good to see you guys this morning. I wanted to just bring a big welcome to you today. It's good to see you. <clears throat> I want to tell you, uh, I was looking at the front of the bulletin. I saw the sermon title, the series title on the front there. Uh, what does it say on the front? This is us. I said, if we'd have printed that up in the mountains, it would have said, we is us. We, we, we would have had something very similar. And uh, uh, I want to bring greetings from my wife and our family and all to all of you today. It's just a joy to, uh, to be back here at Indian Rocks. The first Sunday that I came here back in 1971, I was a 25-year-old boy. And uh, I tell you, it is amazing to, to see what God has done and how God has been so good and so awesome. And I give to him all the praise and all the glory that I see just of things happening here in the life of this church. And I keep up with you guys and I pray for you daily in my prayers for the church family here, for Pastor Jeff and Martha and the pastors and staff and the church family and the deacons and just uh, all of the ones. And I have appreciated the, the music in every service last night and today we had a great time. But I want to uh, tell you uh, this morning, when, when I found out that I was going to be coming back this year in, in February and Pastor Jeff, uh, had, I had asked if he had a series or anything he would be working on, and I would like to fit into that and just be a part of it. And so he told me he was going to be preaching on the church. And so I began to pray because, guys, you know what the Bible says, Christ loved the church and he gave himself for it. The scripture tells us, greater love hath no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends. And so uh, Jesus said that he built the church and uh, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. Jesus had told his disciples, I want you to tarry in Jerusalem. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come and the Holy Spirit came and he baptized the, the church. And the Bible says there's one Lord and one faith and one baptism. And that baptism, he's not talking about pouring or sprinkling or immersion. He's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's only one baptism. There are many fillings of the Holy Spirit, but there's only one baptism. The Bible tells us if we don't have the Holy Spirit, we, we don't belong to Him. We are, we are none of His if we don't have the Holy Spirit. And, and the, in the Scriptures, Jesus was talking about how that will not the Father give to the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. And I want to tell you today the great story of the gospel message is that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the Gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. And so it's a good description there of the Gospel. I began to pray along with Pastor Jeff, who had told me he was praying with me and for me too, and whatever God would, would lead me to speak on. And uh, so when we were together up in Alabama just a few weeks ago, I told Jeff, I said, uh, Jeff, God's laid on my heart something. I said, I really don't know what God's up to with this, but I said, I'll be preaching something along the line on the Great Commission. 
And so I've entitled this message today, and a lot of times when I come here to preach at Indian Rocks, I have practiced the message that I'm going to preach here. I, I preached it at my church before I come, so I kind of got an idea and, and feel better about it. But uh, they're going to get me next week on this message, and so I'm trying it out on you this week, okay? But while I preach it here, when I preach it here, it is entitled, God's Vision Statement for Indian Rocks. Now, next week, it'll be God's Vision Statement for Bethel Baptist Church. But today, it's God's Vision Statement. And as I got into this, I realized this is not really going to be like a sermon today. But God very clearly let me know what he want me to say to you guys. And uh, I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn with me over to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And uh, Jesus was telling us uh, this. And, uh, and, and it says in Matthew 11, 1, John the Baptist is in prison. Now, just, just as a footnote on this, remember, it was John the Baptist that baptized Jesus. You remember that in the, in the gospel where he saw Jesus coming and he gestured toward him with his hand and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And uh, when Jesus was baptized, when he came up out of the water, that's where in the scriptures the Bible says a dove landed on him and a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus said about John the Baptist that John the Baptist was the greatest prophet, the greatest man ever born of a woman. I think it is so strange when we read this, you're going to see that John the Baptist is in prison. He, uh, he accused uh, Herodias and her husband of adultery, and they had cast John in prison, and their daughter uh, did a, a dance, and uh, her father told her, he, he said, I'll give you anything that you want. And she said, all I want is the head of John the Baptist on a platter. She said, I want you to kill John the Baptist. So John is in prison here in Matthew 11. He knows he's only got a day or two, and he, he's going to have his head cut off. So listen to this. Now, here we are. Matthew 11, 1. And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he debart, departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now, when John had heard in the prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples uh, and said unto him, he said, I want you to go to Jesus and ask him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered, when he, Jesus heard this, he said to the two disciples of John the Baptist, he said, Go and show John again those things which you do here and see. And then Jesus listed off these things. In verse 5, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. Jesus knew that when John the Baptist saw that, it was going to be the word of encouragement that, that, that he needed. 
I believe that God knows what we need today here at Indian Rocks. When Jesus wrote the seven letters there in the first part of the book of the Revelation, he started off by commending each of his churches, each of the seven churches that he wrote to. And somewhere along the way, it would kind of make a shift, but Jesus would then address a problem within the church. Now, I'm not God's correction manager, and I'm not, but, but God has told me very clearly in my heart as I have prayed for this church, and I pray for you every day, and I mean that seriously. God has let me know that this is not just a problem here at Indian Rocks, but it's a problem in the church of Jesus Christ in many, many places around the world today. So we're going to make it real and personal as though I were coming to your house and I'm sitting down with you and I'm your pastor and I'm saying to you, you know that you guys are a special family to me here in this church. And uh, because I always want what God wants that's best in your life, I want to ask you a question today and I want you to shoot straight with me and I want you to honestly answer this question. When was the last time that you led a family member, a friend, a loved one, a co-worker? When was the last time that you introduced somebody to Jesus Christ as their Savior? You see, Jesus said in Matthew 4 and verse 19, he said, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. Jesus said in Acts 1-8, just before he ascended into heaven, he had told the disciples to tarry in Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit was going to come, and it was all set for the day of Pentecost, which was an annual feast every year. And uh, he said in Acts 1-8, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus made it very clear that our responsibility after we are saved is to tell others what Christ has done for us and to introduce men and women to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Don Forehand has said he was going to be in this service. Don, are you in here this morning? Don Forehand, is he in here? All right, he must be out because he talked to me a while ago, but he, he may be out. Anyway, I, I want to tell you about Don. Uh, years ago, uh, Barbara had, was coming to church here. Barbara was saved, and she was a part of our church and all. And she said to me one day, she said, Brother Charlie, she said, I want to ask you if you'll come to my home. And she said, would you talk to my husband? She said, he's a good man, he's a good husband and all, but he does not know the Lord and doesn't want anything to do with the Lord. I said, well, sure. I said, I'll be over there Monday night. I'll, I'll be over there. She said, now, I don't know if he'll... Well, I don't know what he'll be. He's a nice man, but she said, if he doesn't want something, he may get up and walk out. He may go. I said, that's happened to me many times. They won't bother me. So I said, I'll, I, so I went over and talked. Don was just as nice as he could be for the first part of our conversation. And uh, it got down to the place. I said, Don, I said, I'm going to shoot straight with you tonight. I said, can I talk straight to you? And he said, you can talk straight to me. He said, now, I may not agree with you. Well, I said, that's okay. I may not agree with you. I said, we're okay. I said, I won't tell you, your wife really loves you. And I said, she has a concern in her heart for you. And she's asked me to come over here. And I told her I've been wanting to meet you and get to know you. And uh, I said, can I talk to you tonight about spiritual things? He said, go right ahead. 
And so I started in and I gave, uh, uh, I gave him the gospel. And uh, when I got through, I said, now, Don, I said, that's the gospel. Christ died for our sins. He loved you. He loved me. He came. God sent him into the world. He died on the cross for our sins. And God gives every one of us an option. We can accept Christ as our Savior and go to heaven, or we can reject Christ as our Savior. We're going to miss out on all the best here on planet Earth, and when we die, we're going to go to hell. And I said, I just wanted to ask you, does what I said to you, what I said to you tonight, I said, did that make sense? He said, yeah. He said, but I'll tell you right now, he said, I'm not ready to do that. And I said, well, I said, Don, that's your choice and that's your decision. You have to make it. So we went ahead and talked a little bit more and I got up to leave and I said, Don, I want to, you told me I could shoot straight with you. And I said, I'm going to take you at your word that you really meant that. And I said, because I know your wife loves you so much. And I said, because I care about you and I want to be your pastor. I said, I want to tell you, Don, you have a choice to make about Christ. But I said, if you die tonight like you are, you're going to go to hell for all of eternity. And I just had to shoot straight and tell you like it is. He said, well, he said, I thank you for that. And uh, time went on. I talked to him a few other times. Don called me up one night and he said, Charlie, he said, I'm going to tell you I'm moving to Alabama. I said, what you going to do? He said, I'm going to be working on a ranch up there. And he and Barbara moved away. I said, Don, you know I'm praying for you every day. I said, you need to get saved. I said, I sure hope you get saved before you put it off too long. And he said, well, you just keep praying for me. And he, we talked and he hung up. A year or so went by, and I got a phone call at my house one night. It was Don. Don said, Brother Charlie, he said, this is Don Forehand up in Alabama. I said, Don, I was just thinking about you the other day. He said, I just had to call you, Brother Charlie. I wanted to tell you that I got saved uh, yesterday. And uh, he told me how he had prayed and accepted Christ into his life. And, and uh, because he's a deacon here in this church now, he's been deacon for 30 years here. This was a long time ago. But I just want to tell you, God has called all of us. He said, I want you to be fishers of men. And so what we're going to look at today, and you may be here today like a lady who came last night. The invitation was just closing down, and I saw one more lady coming down the aisle last night, and she came, and she was just tears dripping down her face, and I recognized her as soon as I saw her. She was a lady that started coming to Indian Rocks back when the church was the little bitty church, first church building we had over on the corner of 137th and Walsingham. She had come to church all those years. And I called her by name when she came up. I said, I can't believe I'm seeing you tonight. I said, are you coming so that you can be a fisher of men? She said, no, pastor. She said, I need to be saved. She said, I have never been saved. And she came to this church for back in the 1970s. And last night gave, that may be somebody here today. Maybe you, to this point in time, you have never accepted Christ as your Savior. The greatest thing you can do is to believe on Him and accept Him as your Savior. You may not come back to this church ever again. You don't have to be a Baptist to go to heaven. But guys, I will tell you, it's just a wonderful thing when you come to know Jesus. It's life's greatest experience. 
And I want for everybody in here. I wouldn't cross the street to make a person a Baptist. But Christ died and came to earth and died on the cross so that you might be saved. It's the most important decision in any life. Now, after we do that, when I look at this, I think of others who got discouraged along the way. Remember doubting Thomas in John chapter 20 and verse 25, where doubting Thomas came to uh, and the disciples were telling Thomas, they said, Thomas, where were you? Jesus just showed up right here after the resurrection. He said, Jesus just showed up. Thomas said, I'm not going to believe what you guys are telling me until I can put my finger in the nail prints in his hand and I can thrust my hand into the spear hole in his side. I'm not going to believe. Well, guys, Jesus only appeared 11 times after his resurrection before he ascended into heaven. But Jesus made a special trip back for Thomas. And when he walked up to him, and Thomas is looking at Jesus, the first thing Jesus said to him, Thomas, behold the holes in my hand. Behold the holes in my feet or my side there. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Just before Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus went to Peter and he said, Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But Jesus said, I have prayed for you that your faith fails not. You know, guys, I will tell you, all of us go through times in our life. I've been a Christian. I became a Christian when I was an eight-year-old boy. My pastor led me to faith in Christ with a little wordless book just like this. And I want to tell you, it has been the greatest joy of my life. If, if nothing else had ever happened after that, that would still be my life's greatest experience. So more than anything, if you don't know the Lord today, I hope today at the end of the service, you will come and say, Brother Charlie, I want to be saved today. A little lady came down the aisle, the first one last night. An older man had it. He was trying to tell me what, why they were coming. And he was having trouble with his words. Finally, the little lady, she said, I want to be saved. <laughs> and I said, one of the pastors was there, and he led her to Christ in a few moments' time. But I'm going to tell you, greatest decision you will ever make. Now listen, what is it that Jesus has as the vision statement for Bethel? Or, or for Indian Rocks too here. Uh, no, I, God says this. He gave us the great commission. He gave it to us in several places. But I love the one in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Jesus said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Now, guys, Jesus says you don't have to be ever worried about sharing your faith in Christ. I told you a couple of years ago when I was here, if you had never heard it before, but when I went through high school, I had the same speech teacher that my daddy had 30-something years before me, Miss Benny Jean Smith. And Miss Benny Jean Smith pulled me aside when I was in high school, and she said, Charlie, you've got a wonderful personality. And she said, you're going to do great in life as long as you don't have a job that requires you to speak in front of people. And uh, so I want to tell you, that's, that's where I am in my life. I, I, I'm only do anything but by the grace of God. And uh, so, I, but the Lord wants us 
to be a witness for him. But what is it that keeps us from doing that? A lot of times it's fear. It's fear that I'll be rejected if I talk to somebody and I say, would you like to pray with me right now and accept Christ? And somebody will say just like Don did. Nope, don't, don't care to do that right now. I've been rejected. The Bible says Christ was rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Jesus went through all of that so he could die on the cross for your sins and mine. Why would we be fearful of somebody getting upset, getting mad at us, saying something mean to us, and getting up and walking out the door? Why would we be upset about that? So think about it and get over it. And we, we've, got to, we've got to do some things different. First thing we need to do is understand that there's one thing that will keep you and me from being a witness for Christ, and it's sin. Sin will sever your effectiveness as a witness for Christ. Sin will steal away the joy of your heart and your soul. Sin will strip you of any passion, any excitement that you have about your relationship in Christ. Sin will silence the song in your heart. I've got a little song that I love to sing. I'm going to sing it for you. I, can't got, I haven't got a singing voice, but I'm going to sing it for you. I sing it to God, and I sing it to myself all the time. This little song, Lord, lay some soul up on my heart and love that soul through me. And may I humbly do my part to win that soul for thee. If I'm praying for somebody, I just ask God, would you give me a song in my heart, Lord? Would you give me the ability just to do like Jesus did when Jesus went into a crowd? Many times in the Bible, Jesus, it says Jesus looked on the multitudes and he wept over them because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Guys, I want to tell you, God loves you and for all who love you, i got to tell you, every one of us, we need a shepherd to watch over our soul. Amen? We need a shepherd to watch over our soul. And so sin will separate us from the song. It'll silence the song in our heart. Sin will always send you in a wrong direction. Sin will successfully meddle up your mind and your thought life. Sin will spoil any desire that you have of telling your family and your friends about Jesus. There was a phone call I got not long ago, and there was a family from my church, a married couple, and they live way back up in the hills. Way, they have about a 35-minute drive to get to our church. They're there every time the door's open. And they had some children. They said, uh, the, the uh, parent called me up on the phone and said, Brother Charlie, would you come over and talk to our children and us about the Lord? They said, we already, you know, we already know the Lord, but neither one of our children have ever publicly accepted Christ or made a profession of faith and they've been asking a lot of questions now guys I'm gonna tell you I gotta tell you I'm, I'm gonna speak for Pastor Jeff right now I can assure you there's nothing that would make that boy's day any quicker than for some mother or father in the church to say brother Jeff could you come over to our house and sit down and talk to my son or my daughter or our children or my husband about the Lord Whenever I get a call like that, I always like to have somebody with me when I go because I, want, I, I get such a joy 
But I like for younger Christians, new people, maybe somebody that's never led anybody to Christ before to be with me because I know good things are going to happen. And I got over to the home that night, and uh, both of those, one of the boys had already prayed and asked Christ in his life, so he was the youngest. And I said to the youngest, I said, son, have you ever accepted Christ as your Savior? He said, yes, sir. He said, I prayed. And he said, I, I prayed and asked Jesus to save me and come into my heart. But he said, how do you know when he comes in? I said, that's a good question. I said, but the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, and I turned over to Romans 10, 13. I had him read it. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. I said, son, do you understand that verse? He was a young, young boy, about nine years old. I said, do you understand that God's just saying, if you call on him in, the, in prayer, you're just calling on God and you ask him, God, would you please save me? I, I want to ask you to forgive me of my sins and come into my life. Guys, it's a simple, such a simple, simple, simple decision. But why is it so hard? Why is it so difficult? I think sometimes uh, people just don't understand the simplicity because everything that, I tell people this, everything that's hard about getting saved, everything that's difficult, anything that's the hardest thing in the whole world, costly, if it costs anything, the old song says, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but Jesus washed me white as snow. I can only be saved through the blood of Christ. Two years ago when I was here, I told you about the five things God doesn't know. Number one, God doesn't know a sin he does not hate. Number two, God does not know a sinner he does not love. Number three, God does not know a soul he cannot save. Number four, God does not know any other way to heaven except through Jesus. And number five, God does not know a better time to get saved than right now, 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. When I tell people that there's five things that God doesn't have anybody that he doesn't love, there's no soul that he cannot save. I have had, believe me, in my life, ladies and gentlemen, I have had a ton of people who said to me, Preacher, if you knew my past, if you knew who I was, he said, if you knew some of the things I had done, you would never want me in this church. And I have always said, as I did to a fellow this, last, this past week in my church in Bethel, he said, Brother Charlie, he said, he said I have killed a lot of people in my life. He said, I have done a lot of bad, bad, bad things. I said, son, you're just the man I'm looking for. I said, because he told me, he said he just got saved. Matter of fact, a former member of, in, of Indian Rocks led him to Christ in a, in a faraway state. And uh, he did not know that there was any relationship or knowledge of me. I knew the guy that led him to Christ. He and his whole family were members here at Indian Rocks. I said, you're just a man God's looking for. I said, I love having people like you come into the church because of whom much has uh, been forgiven. You know, God's grace is so much greater than all our sin. 
You know that old song, grace that is greater than all my sin, grace that exceeds my sin and my guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount I poured, there where the blood of the Lamb was poured. And it's the blood of Jesus that washes away our sin. I said to, I said to people, oh no, God's looking for people just like you to save because he saves us from any kind of life that we have. And I will tell you, it's a wonderful thing. But uh, that night when I was in that home, those two little boys prayed again and, and reaffirmed. One reaffirmed his faith in Christ. The other one prayed to accept Christ. But the greatest day in your pastor's life would be for you to say, Pastor, could you come by our home? My husband is not saved. Just like Barb beforehand said to me many years ago, my husband's not saved. Would you come tell him about Jesus? That has happened literally, well, I don't know. I don't want to exaggerate. I just, all I can say is it happens all the time and it has all my ministry. What a joy to know that a godly mother and a godly father, because you know what? You can send your children, you can pay a lot of money and send your kids here to school from the first grade all the way through the 12th grade. You can send them to a college that costs $40,000 a year or more tuition. You can give them the best education. The kids in the church and at the Christian school drive better cars than most people in any neighborhood in the world. They got nice cars. They got a great education. They go to a great college. They'll get a great job. They may get married and have a wonderful family, but if they leave your home without accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord, and they die and go to hell for all of eternity, what, what a cost, what a price to pay. And I just say to those of you who still have some little ones at home, the up-to-date statistics are that a little bit more than 90% of all people who get saved do so before the age of 18. I have had many people in their 80s and 90s who've gotten saved. As a matter of fact, a lady came at the invitation in the last service. She said, Brother Charlie, she said, you know, my father, he came to church here and met you. I said, I remember your daddy. She said he accepted Christ when he was 93 years old in May, and she said he died in September. 93 years old when he accepted Christ, and he died four or five months after he prayed to accept Christ. Folks, can I just say to this, don't gamble with the eternal salvation of your soul where you're going to spend eternity. With all my heart, I'm going to tell you right now, I love what I do. I can hardly wait for daylight to get up and go. And I'm ready to go to bed when I drop into bed at night. I go to bed exhausted. I get up excited. And I walk out my door expectant because I pray every day, God, bring me some divine appointments today that you open people's hearts just like you opened Lydia's heart in Acts 16.10. Do it again, Lord. Do it today. Open somebody's heart to accept the gospel. I love what I do, and I love my life. And I want to tell you with everything that is within me, sometimes I, I know people think about preachers. Do they really believe what they preach? Do they really believe? I want to tell you, if I didn't believe what I tell you and what I've told you here for all these past 50 years almost, I want to tell you what, I would die in my on my standing on my feet I would quit today I would get out of the ministry if I don't believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and everything in this book I love that little song every promise in the book is mine every chapter every verse every line 
All the fullness of his love divine. Every promise in the book is mine. Have you claimed those for yourself, for your life? I want to tell you guys, the greatest joy in all the world is knowing the Lord. I want to tell you that God has a vision for this church. His vision is the Great Commission. Now, you can't be a Great Commission church until, first of all, you become a Great Compassion church. And then you will come a a Great Conversion church where people are getting saved Daily, people were added to the church. Those who should be saved were coming in the book of Acts. Multitudes coming to Christ because believers in Christ were going everywhere, telling their friends and their neighbors and their family, entire households, getting saved and baptized. So here are some things about a vision. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people what? Right. Where there is no vision, Proverbs 29, 18, the people perish. Can I tell you, God doesn't want anybody to perish. Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, and again, two verses later in Luke 13, 5. Jesus said, except you repent, you're all going to likewise perish. He said, you're going to die in your sins if you don't come to a place in your life where you're walking down the road of life, you're walking your way, not God's way, you're going your, you do what you want to do. You're making all of life's choices, all of life's decisions, and some of you are running as far and as fast away from God as you can. And repentance is coming to a place where you stop going your way and you do an about face in your life. You turn your life over to God. And you say, God, from this day on, I want to follow you. I want your plan. I tell young people this all the time. God reserves the very best in life for those who leave the choices up to him. When you pray about those big decisions, there are four or five major decisions that young people are going to make between the age of 16 and 23. And I want to tell you, God forbid that you're not walking with God when you make those five decisions. Because if you're 16 to 23 years of age and you've got all these five life-altering decisions you're going to live with for the rest of your life, if you think you can make the choice your way, the Bible, just be reminded, the Bible says in the Psalms, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. God says there is no such thing as a self-made man or a self-made woman. He says, it is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. Would you leave the choices up to God? So we have to be a great compassion church. Jesus looked at the multitudes. He had compassion. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said this in other places. He told John the Baptist, he said, tell John's disciples, the dead are raised, the lame walk, the blind see, the mute speak, uh, the, and all the things that happened. And the gospel is preached to the poor. But in Matthew 25, Jesus talking to two groups. One of them is called the goats. One of them is called the sheep. And Jesus said to one group, he said, He said, you're going to go to heaven with me because he said, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was sick and you came to visit me. I was in prison and you ministered unto me. 
Then one of them said to Jesus, they said, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you a drink and naked and clothe you? And when did we ever see you a stranger? And when did we do all that, Lord? Jesus said, oh, no, listen. Inasmuch as you have done it to the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Many of the mission organizations around the world have said this, that is, until we meet the physical needs of people who are dying of starvation or they're dying because they don't have good drinking water, one billion people a day do not have access to clean drinking water. Unclean water is the largest killer of five-year-olds and under in third world countries. I want to ask you, what are you doing? You say, well, we got some great organizations. That's like people who go to a church, and I ask you, what are you doing? They say, oh, we got a great church here. We got a great organization. We, got, we hired people to do that for us. We hire people to be a soul winner. We hire somebody to be our preacher. We hire somebody to do our music. We hire somebody to go out and witness for the church. Well, I'm going to tell you what, guys, if that's your thinking, you are dead wrong. Jesus Christ called you to be a faithful follower of him. So what is, what is the vision? And what is the great commission? A vision brings definition. Jesus explains it in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. A vision brings design. Jesus said, I'll show you how to do it. Matthew 4, 19, follow me and I'll make you to become fishers of men. I'll show you how to do it. Number three, a vision brings direction. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Number four, vision brings a new dynamic. The power of the Holy Spirit, greater power, greater grace. Number five, vision brings a fresh new dependence upon God. The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 4.13, he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God's vision statement is the Great Commission. Listen to this about the Great Commission. Don't know if you've ever realized this. This is a great thing. God's vision statement is the Great Commission. It delivers God's plan. Do you think God would put us down here, tell us to go out and reach the whole world, and he wouldn't have a plan to do it? Uh-uh, that's not my God. The vision statement, the Great Commission, delivers God's plan. Number two, it defines our responsibility. It makes very clear what your responsibility, every one of us who's a born-again Christian, it is my responsibility, it is your responsibility to be a witness, to be a fisher of men. Now listen, you can be a, a, a great fisherman or a poor fisherman, but at least you're going out and you're trying, okay? But if you're somebody who's sitting home on your butt watching TV every night and you say, I don't have any time to do anything because I've got five kids' ball games this week and I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm watching my favorite television shows from 8 o'clock until 10 o'clock every night and I hadn't got time to do anything for Jesus. You have got your priorities totally upside down. Like I said a while ago, if your kids graduate from the best high school, drive the best car, get the greatest education, 
What good is that if they die and go to hell because as a parent, you never gave them spiritual directions. Never ask a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, or a soul winner to come and pray with you and help you lead your own household to Christ. I'll tell you one thing that excites me when I look at the woman in the Bible who had been married five times, and Jesus said, where's your husband? She said, I don't have one. He said, thank you for being honest, because you have had five husbands, and the guy you're living with now, you're not married to. She said, you must be a preacher. He said, and so that day she came to Christ. You know what that woman started doing? I mean, right there when she got saved. She went out to the city. She probably found a lot of the guys she'd been sleeping with. And she told them, she said, guys, she said, something wonderful happened in my life. She said, come meet a man who told me all that ever I did is not this, the Christ. I have a little lady that I baptized at my church a year or so ago. She came to me and she said, Brother Charlie, I've done some bad things in my life. She said, I've done some really bad things. And she listed off of several things and she told me, she said, I've had a lot of abortions. She said, I've been a prostitute for several years. And she said, but she said, Brother Charlie, she said, I know that when I prayed and asked Jesus to come into my heart, that he saved me and he forgave me. And she said, I'm just sorry I've wasted my life and done what I've done. I said, honey, you got a lot of life yet to live. And I said, I want you to know when you prayed and asked the Savior to come into your life, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west and to the depths of the deepest sea, so far hath he removed your transgressions and he will remember them against you no more. That's the guy, guys, that's the God we serve. The guy that told me, he said to me, he said, Brother Charlie, he, this, this was just last week. He said, I have killed a lot of people in my life. He served some time, many, many years in the military. He said, I had this certain position. He told me what he did. He said, I have, I have done bad, bad things in my life. He said, I said, son, I said, let me just tell you this right now. I said, I think God may be calling you into the ministry. I said, God spoke to my heart about you the very first time I ever laid eyes on you. I said, I'm not God, and I can't tell you for sure. But I said, would you let me disciple you and train you, and would you help me and go with me and all? When I go and talk to people about the Lord, he said, anytime you want me. He said, I'll be there. He's he got free time. I said, God loves people like you because you know what you are. You know what you've done. And the Bible says the Apostle Paul, he was like a modern-day ISIS. He was killing Christians dividing, separating families, throwing people in prison. That's what he was on his way to do in Damascus when Jesus struck him blind on the road to Damascus and he fell down blind and, the, and he couldn't see. You know what the first thing he said was? Who art thou, Lord? Acts chapter 9. And the Lord spoke to him that night and said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks and then the next thing out of his mouth, he said this, What will you have me to do, Lord? And that night, Saul turned in faith to Jesus Christ. And just a short time later, he was baptized. And God sent him. Paul was probably the greatest preacher, the greatest missionary that the world has ever known. 
A vision statement delivers God's plan. It defines our responsibility. It depends upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Number four, it declares going, preaching, baptizing, and making disciples as an urgent need. Vance Havner said the problem in the church today is that we, our situation is desperate, but our prayers are not. Do you know what happens when people pray desperate prayers? I want to tell you there is something about the sincerity of desperate prayers that grabs the attention of God. And so when you and I call out to God and say, God, I want to be a part of your number one primary goal that Jesus has for every one of his churches on planet earth. Guys, I don't care if it's a Pentecostal church, a Methodist church, a Catholic church, a a independent Baptist church, a Christian church, a Nazarene, a holiness church, a Christian and missionary line. I don't care what kind it is. There is no church that does not fall under the authority of the headship of Jesus Christ. It's not for you to do what you want to do. It is our responsibility to do what he wants us to do and what he has commanded us to do. Remember, it's the great commission. It is not the great suggestion. He didn't suggest that we do this. He commissioned us when we became followers of Christ. Now, maybe you're saying... Maybe you're, God, I, I got a Jewish friend. I got some, several Jewish friends. I called one the other day. They lived down in Fort Lauderdale. And this guy was so upset. I said, what's the matter? What are you upset about today? He said, he said, uh, he said, have you ever read the story of David and Bathsheba in the Bible? I said, yeah. He said, you know, he was King David. And I said, yeah, I know who he, I know the, I, I said, I've read the story. He said, did you, see the, did you read the story about where he sent this guy down to get killed in a battle? And after the guy was killed, then David married his wife. And I said, yeah, that's a David and Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. I said, yeah, I know that story. He said, that makes me so blankety-blankety-blankety-blank mad. He said, I'd like to take him and blankety-blankety-blank. And I said, I said, I said, what are you so upset about? I said, that was written like, 3,000 years ago. He said, well, I just found out yesterday. <laughs> and uh, he said, I'm a Jew, and King David is a Jew and all, and I'm praying. I said, I told him, I called him by name, he and his wife. I, I, I love you guys. I said, I can't wait for you guys. You're going to get saved. Every time he walks out the door of my church, he tells me on the way out, he says, Brother Charlie, he said, I know God wants me to get saved, doesn't he? I say more than anything in this world, he wants you to get saved. You know, it's a wonderful thing when we realize that God's got a plan for all this. God's got a vision. He's got a, a vision statement. And uh, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Wherever we go, Jesus is going to go with us. When we see about people who are hungry, I will tell you, when people have a need met, all of a sudden they're able to focus their attention on you. And if you're talking to them about the gospel and you have helped alleviate a problem in their life, helped them meet a need, you've given them a drink of water, you have given them food to eat, you have given them something to take their mind and their heart off of the issues and the problems they're facing in their life. 
David Joseph gave me a book to read not long ago. My pants keep falling down. This, this, this battery thing's heavy. It's pulling my pants down. Uh, I, David gave me a book the other day. I was reading it. It's called The Relationship Principles of Jesus. And boy, I will tell you, I never, never had realized until I was reading this book how Jesus dealt with people through personal relationships. Just like he, he went, you know, and uh, he, he saw the little guy up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, he said, come on down. He said, I want to go over to your house for supper tonight. Well, as soon as Jesus said that, everybody said, that Jesus, he's an oddball. He eats and drinks with sinners. And that's when Jesus said, you know, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You talk, sinners, that's who Jesus came for. That's who Jesus died for. And all of us, the Bible says, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So Jesus had the personal relationships. And uh, when I think about this, I think about the, uh, the, the main purpose that Jesus Christ has for Indian Rocks Church. And he leaves us with a decision that we need to make. And I want to ask you in this decision today, just for a moment today, if I can come into your living room at your home and it's just you and it's just me and, and I love these situations. I love it when I, I get to do that. I love when I come here, but sometimes it's so hard to see two or three hundred people that want to say something to you and you just know it's so hard to do. But I love when I've got time and I can sit down and talk to somebody personally. And I love to say to people, Jack, tell me, when you got saved, you know, and I can come to Jack and Carol and I can talk to them and just say, tell me your testimony. Now, I've known these guys a long time and I've known this couple right here for a while, but I knew your parents for a long many years. I had opportunities to sit down in everybody's home. I won't tell you guys, this is not bragging, it's not complaining, it's just fact. I have been in almost, not necessarily in every home, but I've been on the front doorstep of almost every home in this entire area through the years. And my joy is to go into a home. Remember one night, one day, I was calling it quits. I'd been over on Indian Rocks Beach, and I was going to make one or two more visits. And I decided I was tired. I was going home. I got in my car. I was pulling out on the Gulf Boulevard. And I saw two bicycles laying in the driveway at a house I'd never been to before. I went over there to that house, and I, I pulled my car, and I thought, Lord, I'm going to stop here on my way out. And I was going to invite the kids to, to ride the bus. I drove a bus. We had bus, other bus, bus drivers in the church. They were on a route. I knocked on the door, and this great old big boy opened the door. He had a beer bottle in one hand, a cigar in the other, had on a pair of shorts, dripping sweat all over him and everything, brushy old beard, big old boy filled up the whole doorway. And I said, uh, hey, how you doing? I said, my name's Charlie Martin. I'm the pastor down here at Bethel Baptist Church. Yonk. He slammed the door right in my face. So I knocked right back again. And uh, I, I didn't know. I said, God, help me to know what to say. He opened the door. He said, I thought I told you. And I was looking in. I could see people. There, and I, I saw a guitar laying up against the sofa, other side of the room. I said, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. I said, is that your guitar in there? He said, yeah, what about it? He said, do you know how to play guitar? I said, yeah, I know how. He said, would you tune this guitar for me? He said, I've had, you know, he just totally changed. 
went in there into a home, Bert and Mary Morocco and all their kids, Catholic for generations back who weren't attending anywhere. And I invited them to Sunday school and church, picked up the kids the next day, the next Sunday. Within four weeks, Bert and Mary and their children had prayed to accept Christ as their Savior. One of the, one of the, uh, I've, I've now buried two of the children through the years before the last time I left. And, uh, but I, I want to think, you know, I think about people like Bert and Mary. I think about people like uh, Chet Jan Janicki and Deborah Janicki a while ago. She was telling me, she said, Charlie, my daddy, you know my daddy. She said, my daddy met you and daddy prayed just before he died. He was 93 years old and he prayed to accept Christ. She said he died in September. I think about people like that. I think about what if somebody never told them about Jesus? Do you know I've, done, I've talked to people about Jesus. It's never cost me a penny. It's never cost me a penny. It takes a little bit of time. And I will tell you that when we are witnesses for Christ, you can't take the go out of God. You take, can't take the go out of the Great Commission. You can't take the go out of gospel. In order to lead people to Christ, you've got to get up and go somewhere. You can put up a sign out there that says visitors welcome, but it doesn't mean nearly as much as a friend or a neighbor coming and say, would you come to church and sit with me? Would you go with me to my Sunday school class? Would it be a recommendation that you might make in your class next Sunday? A teacher, uh, could we do something today a little different? Could we just go around the room and have everybody introduce themselves? There are people sit on that side. I don't even know what their name is. And could we, each of us who want to, tell how we came to Christ? Could we ask in our Sunday school class if there's anybody that's a part of our life, our class, that we might not even know, have they ever been saved? Is there a time that would be better for you to ask your children? I have found that with my family members, I have led many of my family members to Christ. Jean, Jean Baggett and Marzell Baggett lived across the street from me when I was a little boy. Their son was born within a few months of when I was born. We went all the way through kindergarten, elementary school at Yoakum Elementary School in El Dorado, Arkansas. Went through junior high school together, went through high school. I got saved when I was eight, and I talked to Dennis Baggett all those years when he was a child, trying to get him to go to Sunday school and church. His mother and daddy weren't saved, didn't go to church. Finally, one day, we, I told Dennis when I left, moved away, I said, Dennis, I've been praying every day for you to get saved all, all of our life. When I would go home, I'd talk to Dennis. I'd call him on the telephone. I'd tell him, Dennis, you need to be saved. He's the same age I am. Two or three years ago, I was preaching a revival meeting in my home church in Eldorado, Arkansas, Maryville Hill Chapel. I got a phone call from a 93-year-old man. He said, is this Charlie Martin? I said, it is. He said, I'm Gene Baggett. He said, used to live across. I said, Gene, I know who you and Marzell and Dennis are. I know y'all. He said, Charlie, I want to tell you. He said, I got saved about two years ago. He's 93 years old. He got saved two years ago. He said, I want to call and tell you. He said, Dennis has told me many times, every time he talks to you, you tell him you're praying for him. I said, I am. He said, Dennis and I are going to be at your church tomorrow morning. We're going to be at Maribel Hill 
and he's going to be sitting back there, and I want you to know it. You be praying that he hears the gospel. I said, he's going to hear the gospel. I said, but I'll be praying for it. After the service was over, Gene walked down. I saw him coming down, walking like a lot of you guys I saw coming in here today. <laughs> He'd coming in. They sit in the back there, and he came down the aisle, tears dripping down his face. I remembered, even from 70 years before, as a kid, being in their house, laughing and talking. He didn't get saved till he was in his 90s. Last time I was home, Dennis told me his daddy had died. Dennis said, Charlie, he said, we're having lunch together. And Dennis said, Charlie, he said, I wanted to tell you this face to face. He said, I know you've been praying for me all my life. He said, I got saved last year. He said, I asked Christ into my life. He said, Jesus meant everything to my dad. He said, I just want to tell you, thank you for not giving up on me. Think about today before you walk out of this place. God's vision statement for your church. Indian Rocks. Guys, I'm so proud of everything God is doing. But my heart hurts because I know that you guys could turn the world upside down if you would make a commitment of your heart to be a follower of Jesus Christ and become a fisher of men. Some of you have known the Lord a long time. I'm not going to ask you to come for anything else, but I'm going to ask you today if you would come. Stand with me for a closing prayer. God, we commit ourselves to you to be keepers of the Great Commission, to follow you, and to be fishers of men. By your divine guidance, we will be witnesses for Christ. Let's bow together as we pray.